All right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. It is now uh, Wednesday, October 14th. This is, of course, the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And I'm joined, uh, as usual, by my colleagues Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. And we are right in the middle of our preseason rollout. The All-America teams are out. The top 25 and 1 is out. In fact, we ranked all 351 teams. And just let me be clear, um, I had nothing to do with anything between 27 and 351. <laughs> I turned that over to the uh, ambitious uh, youngins, uh, Norlander and Vassini. What, um, and Matt, I'll start with you. Okay. What, what, how do you even go about ranking teams 27 through 351? All right, let, yeah, we can get into this right away. This this was okay. So we this was tossed out at our summer summit for college hoops for CBSSports.com, and I was all about it. And Sam yeah, was like, think, "Absolutely!" And Gary was like, "Good luck with all that." Yeah, but, that sounds like something I don't need to be involved in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for the pure ridiculous audacity of it, I did want to give it a go. Now uh, we got tremendous, like really, really good response on it, which is good. And I will say, I was surprised that. All right. As a comparison, so we, re- we released our top. We released our top 101 players. Tons of hate flowing. Oh yeah, constantly. Like just real like issues. I'm I'm still getting most of it from Doug Gottlieb. Oh yeah, you know, no doubt about <laughs> it. Shout out to Gottlieb, absolutely. And by the way, Gary mentions how he wasn't really part of the 27 351. Gottlieb thought he was, and I wasn't exactly correcting that information. He kept at mentioning Parrish. Totally fun on that end. Um, <laughs> just, just ignored it all. I'm like I'm not even like I'm I'm busy. I can't get involved. In yeah. This. <laughs> so with the 351 though, there hasn't been too much blowback, which is kind of surprising. Granted, you know most fan bases of teams ranked below 120. Broadly speaking, uh, one, they don't follow me, too. There aren't that many of them, so I didn't expect Alcorn State or Central Arkansas fans to come with their uh, pitchforks. But in terms of how we did this, this was a bear for sure. I mean, this was <laughs> hours upon hours upon hours because we don't want to get it. me and Matt on the phone for like 15 at least, hours. Yeah, uh, over a course of a couple of days. Last, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, and so, because we didn't want to, like, you know, some of these we're going to end up being wrong, but we don't want to look totally stupid, and as weird as it sounds, we don't want to put a team 312 that really should probably be closer to 212. So, uh, yeah. Ken Pomeroy did mention uh, mention me on Twitter, he's like, you you pretty much uh, didn't make any huge mistakes, except that Princeton is way too low, so I'll take that overall. Uh, a lot of fun, um, and for anyone that hasn't checked it out, be sure to. I mean, the, the list is all over CBSSports.com or on your CBS Sports app. Actually, the other cool thing was a buddy of mine, has, he's like kind of an Apple fanboy, and he's just one of those people that has to get everything that when it comes out. So he's had the watch, the Apple Watch, and he sent me a photo uh, of when our 101 and 351 went out of each list. He got the updates like on his actual phone as he was working out and was like linked through him. I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. But just a few quick teams, and I'll let Sam blab here. Um People might be curious about. We put Texas at 33rd with Shaka. Texas was one that I think we were. We knew we had to have top 40, but we're not totally, totally convinced on. Um, I was kind of high on Xavier, relatively speaking. So we have them at 39, and we have LSU, who has Ben Simmons, our number two player in the country, at 38. LSU might end up being too low because they've got talent for sure. I mean, Tim Quarterman is, is going to get NBA looks and Hornsby can hit the threes and Blakeney is a five-star point guard, but we got to kind of see it first. Um, the only team that I would say I, we, I did get blowback on was Syracuse at 43. I mean, I think orange fans are just overall, they're kind of 
they're kind of desperate for some love from from media after all that they've gone mm-hmm. through here. But like Gabinajay wasn't on our top one hundred and one. We got a lot of pushback on that. Um, I, I suggested him. I know uh, you can blame me for Gabinajay. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Louisville fans had an issue with us putting them at 50. I'll say right now, Louisville at 50 is generous with what they have with that roster. Personally, I believe that we could have easily put them lower. Um, and I mean, there's just random ones like Illinois state. We have in the top 60, they're going to be better than people realize, I think. And like, we have Illinois worse than people might realize we have them 65th. Um, so overall, I mean, Sam, I'll let you kind of take from here. A lot of fun, but, in terms of checking rosters and, and seeing stuff, it, it, it was, it was, uh, a massive undertaking. And given the response, I, I'm already, uh, kind of breaking out into cold sweats, knowing that we're going to have to do this again next year. And Parrish is totally going to help. <laughs> uh, I'll do, I'll handle one through 26. You guys can do the rest. <laughs> and then with the players, just as long as we're speaking openly here, we all did participate in the top 101 players in college basketball. But as we got to about 80, I had to bow out because I was in a uh, wiffle ball tournament this weekend yeah. <laughs> and we needed it done by Saturday and I just couldn't participate anymore. I was too busy playing yeah. wiffle ball. Well, he sends the email. He's like, hey, guys, listen, man, I got a wiffle ball tournament. I, you guys can finish this without me if you want. And I get the email and I send him a text. I'm like, well, I don't know if he's going to check me out. I'm like, GP, just send me like 12 more names. So like we get some more people in there just in case. And I never got a text back. No, so. I, 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 I thought I thought my email made it pretty clear. I was busy. <laughs> I'm not, not, not going to start. The, the I, I, I said, I said, I said, I can, unless you guys want to wait till tomorrow, I can't participate in this anymore today. And then you text message me and say, hey, if you want to participate, I just told you I cannot participate. I am focused on wiffle ball right now. And so I never saw the final list until it posted at CBS Sports. How did you guys leave off Robert uh, uh, Robert Carter? Okay. Uh, okay I told Matt, uh, you know, if we're going to have Rashid Suleiman on the list, we should probably have Robert Carter. We should probably put Robert Carter ahead of Rashid Suleiman. Matt, okay. go ahead. All right. So here's the deal. Um, that we, of course, could have put Carter and Suleiman on the list, but then I thought, they would that would be McMaryland the only team with five players and then they should be our number one team and they're not our number one team. I think the Carter stuff is getting a little out of hand here. He's a good player. He might be their uh, second best player. Uh he might he might be and he might be their fourth or fifth best player. I I think I that promise is, you he's better than Diamond Stone right now. Right now. I think yes. Okay. And Diamond Stone, who is I think eighty or eighty one on the list, freshman five star big man. We talked about this because the, the Diamond Stone is basically once we lost you and it came to Sam and I and we st- we got on the phone and started debating. With no, we Stone, had Diamond Stone with GP. Did we? Okay. Well, with yeah. Stone, we basically said we like the chances of Stone being better come February, March than Carter. So let's go with him just to be safe. The Carter one, I fully, fully admit, and I said this on Twitter and Frischilla had mentioned me as well. I think Robert Carter is the one player on the list. And by the way, this was last year when I insisted we have Denzel Valentine and we did not have him on the list. He was not on our one top 100 last year. Carter could be the one that really makes us, but really me look bad. I picked Suleiman instead because I Suleiman's been on the list every year. He was almost a legacy choice, but it's like, I just I see what Rashid Suleiman is, and I think he is one of the best 101 players in the game. I just I can't. I bet I can't you Coach K up. doesn't believe that. I, I, you know what, you are, Same you, you might, you might very well be, be correct. Um, but the other, the, other, the other one that stands out, um, so 
Robert Carter, I was like, ooh, probably should have him. And then Ryan Archie Diacono, right? Like, yeah, that's well, all. I, I, you guys, this is all you That's another Orlander special. No, it's not a Norlander. <laughs> Don't throw me under the bus like this. I won't you know what? When Paris was in it. I did. When okay, Paris was involved. When Paris was involved, and I, I'm totally dominating this podcast right now. When Paris was involved, we had Arch on the list. But then as we get to the 80s and 90s, and we've still got like 30 candidates. Like, I understand that the guys in the 80s and the 90s, for the most part, casual sports fans, don't know who these people are. But for people that follow the sport, like, these are legitimately rational candidates to be putting in. And so when we're looking, and and just to use, like, Rashid Suleiman as an example, I'm sorry, but Rashid Suleiman is absolutely a better college basketball player than Ryan Archidiakono, even though Archidiakono shared Big East Player of the Year. I understand that, but this isn't about most valuable player kind of things. Archidiakono was the fourth best player on Villanova last year. Yes, and he'll probably be the fourth best player on Villanova this year. And so because of that, like, we got to the point where, like, Daniel Ochefu, he wasn't he was behind Arch, and we're like, that's not right. Ochefu is clearly better. Jalen Brunson, incoming guard, clearly a better player than Arch. So Arch, Carter, Gabinaje, and then Jared Udhoff at Iowa. Those were the four we definitely heard the most blowback on. Well, I, yeah, I, I, agree. I, I would say that. I agree with the yeah. people. I agree with the people. I think, our, I, I, think our, I think the bottom of our players list is, is uh, embarrassing. Stop it. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's no, no, it's not less. I, I just, I'm um, joking. But I would, I would, you know, I would have Carter on that list. I would have Archie Diakon on that list. You would also have the little homie Phil Forte. I would, yeah. And how did he, like, you, Big 12 little guards shot, uh, score 15 points per game? You can't put Phil Forte on the list? <laughs> I mean, does he do anything else beyond shoot? <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, if you, if you, like, people make millions of dollars doing nothing but shooting. Not really. Of course <laughs> I mean, they yeah, do. Sometimes they do. Like J.C. Carroll in Spain makes millions of dollars, but he's a five foot eleven, five foot ten guard who can't defend anyone. What about Kyle uh, Korver? He makes millions of dollars just doing nothing but shooting the basketball. Kyle Korver is also a plus defender in the NBA. Oh God! This, you look put... at that. Oh, look at Sam <laughs> serving it right back to GP right now. Jesus. Plus defender, minus defender is the go-to. Um, hard to quantify, impossible to quantify stat that people use whenever they want to validate what it is they're saying. Like that—that that was the pushback no, on. Not. Like Kyle Korver's a legitimate like plus defender in the NBA. He's a guy that re- like uh, other mean- opposing offensive players really struggle to score against. He has incredible timing when trying to block shots on the perimeter. Let me ask you a question, guys. He's a really good team defender. Like this is Kyle Korver is so much better. Than I'm not Phil comparing Forte. Kyle Korver and Phil Forte. Not, I think you are actually. I think you're saying in Phil Forte is better than Kyle Korver. Better than Phil Forte is in college, like by far. Yeah. Okay. What, let me ask you a question. Why does Kyle Korver make the money he makes in the NBA? Because he's a shooter that can do okay. other things. Good. 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 But he's good, a shooter good. that can do other things. He's not just a shooter. That's why he was a minimum player until like. You know, 2012. Uh, you must the, you you must have forgotten. Uh, Phil Forte is also white, which makes him a coach on the floor. That's right. So so he's a <laughs> shooter who is also automatically it. a coach on the floor. Let's just address. And, let's and, just address the fact that Phil Forte is the physical embodiment of the closest uh, representation of Gary Parish in college basketball. He is. He, he, he's a shooter <laughs> who also, based on his skin color, is a coach on the floor who plays oh. the game the right way. And um, is is probably, according to our buddy Jeff Goodman, a better, a be- even a better person than he is a player. 
<laughs> Which, by the way, I share this pet peeve with Parrish. That would mean he's literally one of like the 300 best humans on the planet. Holy crap, I hate that when people say it. If I could remove two phrases from the human language, one would be the human language, the English language. language. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if I no, can... Let's re- hey, I'm sure phrase. they say it in other languages, though, too. I'm sure okay. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they say it in other ways. If I, could, if I could remove two phrases from the English language, it would be these. When people mess up and say, I, I could care less, as opposed to I couldn't care less. I just, I don't know why that's so difficult for some people to grasp. It's, it's couldn't care less. The other one makes no sense. And the other one would be, um, great coach, even better person. Great player, even better person. Like there was some kid committed somewhere the other day, last week, and, and Goodman. And it's not even, I'm not making this about Goodman. I just remember he, him most recently saying this. And he was like, so, you know, whatever school just got a... Uh, a great player. He's even a better person. I'm like, well, okay. He's a top 20 high school player in the country. You, so you're telling me he's an even better person than that? Like he's one of the 20 best people in high school? Like what are you even talking about? <laughs> it makes it makes when you actually think about what you're saying, it makes no sense whatsoever. Like there's no way you could be if you're a top 20 basketball player in high school. There is no way you could reasonably be assumed to be an even better person than you are player. You'd have to be one of the, you'd have to be, by definition, one of the 19 best people in high school. So what are we talking about? Why do people say that? I know, I know. All right, we'll circle back to the Is it weirder that people say that or that it bothers me so much? Uh, Probably the latter, but I kind of, I kind of, I'm with you. you. It's just one of those things, it's it's a lazy uh, turn of phrase that people have kind of, uh, you know, gone to, but I totally get you. So, um we have on our top 101 players. First of all, I love that we went 101 in the style of GP's top 25 and one, which we'll get to in just a second. But uh, Chris Dunn is our number one player. And while we kind of addressed, I think some of this uh, on our last podcast with the all American, the reason why Wiltshire is our all American uh, preseason all, you know, player of the year. And Dunn is our number one is, you know, in terms of team production value, MVP like qualities, we think, and and being on a surefire and stable tournament team, that's why Wilshire's there. Dunn has the ability to carry Providence to the tournament, but there remains a possibility Providence doesn't even get there. And if they do, they're certainly not going to be a five-seater better, most likely. Uh, but Dunn's ability is undeniable. Amazing defender. Might be the best on-ball defender in the country on top of being the best point guard. So I did a quick, uh, not a quick, but I did a long profile on him. Great kid. Um, oh, is he even better kid than he is a player? Not a better kid than he is a player. I can definitely <laughs> say that with confidence. But uh, but listen, he's an okay kid who's a great basketball player. Like that's probably the, the most yeah, accurate uh, way to put it. Yeah, well, he uh, <laughs> it's he has strong always, thoughts on how I met your mother. That's he, yeah. Listen, that's what was so funny is I sit down with him. We and we, you know we get into talking just like some random stuff, and he starts going off on how he loves the show Friends, and oh, God. and like he. He's like, dude, I think Friends is the best show ever, and I'm Why like, would he are you? Say and, I, that? and I and I went back on it. I went back on him with this. I was like, Norlander hates not, Friends. Hate I do not hate Friends, but it, I'll tell you what, it is not rewatchable. Like, well, why did I, that even become such a big phenomenon anyway? Like, it's it's a it's a it's a comedy it was, that's not funny. Well, like, you know what though? But I think in the '90s it was, and it had six beautiful it's people. So funny on now. It, and, and you think it's funny now, Sam? Yeah, I do. Oh, gosh. It's I rewatch not, it. When like, it came on I judge people based on whether or not they think Friends is funny. You also I mean, judge people like whether or not they think Saved by the Bell is a good TV funny. show. <laughs> Saved by the Bell, also just awful. Like I don't even know why that became. Like at some point, we've talked about this before. It became cool to say you like Saved by the Bell, so people just started saying I like Saved by the Bell. 
awful television show. I'll say this. Saved by the Bell is one of those things that I really enjoyed, like whenever I was, you know, nine to 12 in the 90s and like early 2000s. But it's not rewatchable at all now. Like Saved by the Bell, you can't even. It's really hard to rewatch. Without without Friends, Friends, I don't think is that bad. uh, Friends is, I mean, come on. It's it's, It's it's, very 90s. I understand it's a college basketball podcast, but Ross gets absolutely insufferable after like the fourth season. Like he, he flat out ruins the show. Chandler has a weight change every seven episodes it's it's bizarre world um but uh but regardless chris dunn loves it and actually uh, he has a breaking bad heisenberg shirt that he said he was going to send me a photo of and i still have not gotten that yet but when i do i will tweet it out overall doesn't, though, doesn't everybody have a breaking bad heisenberg shirt i do not do you no my son does okay oh, well, there you go um but it'll be interesting to see providence this year um for anyone that didn't get a, a chance to see a lot of them, just know that they're gonna they're gonna run like crazy. They might be one of the the fastest teams in the country getting up and down, and that'll be really fun because Chris Dunn is genuinely incredible and he's got an interesting backstory. I will give Goodman some pub here because I know he published his Dunn story, and his is more the mother angle. I kind of went with the fact that uh, when I was talking to coaches and the players, they're like. Chris Dunn is just flat out. He's like a hilarious dude. Like he's just really funny. And I kind of tied that into Cooley kind of gave me some stuff. The coach Ed Cooley, like they both came from really back tough backgrounds and they definitely are use that, you know, humor to, to shed a lot of personal pain the same way Parrish does on this very podcast. So it's, uh, it's a, it's an interesting read. I, I would highly recommend it, but I mean, did you guys want to touch on any of our 101 players? Well, any, I think, yeah. I, I, I think some folks got confused. Like you pointed out that, um, Hey, how is Cal Wilcher the national player of the year? But, um, but fourth uh, on our list. But yeah, and, and and you know, again, and we talked about this last week. In my eyes, um, national player of the year is somebody who is great on an on a great, usually someone who is great on a great team. And it, I think, you know, Chris Dunn just didn't check that box for me. He's great. I don't know if Providence is going to be great. I don't know if Providence is even going to be NCAA tournament good. I think the Big East media poll came out this morning, and they're picked fifth in the Big East. So mm. is fifth in the Big East going to get you there? I mean, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know, yeah. right? Yeah. So that, it was just some uncertainty. Nobody is uncertain about Chris Dunn. It's just that throughout history, um, you can't really find uh, many examples of national players of the year who weren't on NCAA tournament teams. And so I think he's hurt a little bit by the – at least the idea that um, that that maybe his team won't be good enough to to allow him to get the type of awards his talent suggests he's capable of. But if we're just listing the best 101 college basketball players, there's nothing crazy. You know, that's a totally different uh, project, and uh, and he's number one. Uh, we also and ben had Simmons is number two, right? Well, like we had the one I was on a radio station in Kentucky earlier today, and they asked me, um, you know, why Jamal Murray over Skull, if if uh, Labissiere, if we have Scal as a as a first team All American, and uh, I guess Jamal Murray's a second team All American, and I just explained it by saying that was simply a vote. I don't think that's the way I put it, but you guys, yeah, you guys did. Yeah, it well, just sort of the well, results. The, of the, way, the way to explain it is that you know we try to do a couple of perimeter players, a couple of forwards on the All American team, that's and yeah. uh, Jamal Murray, you know, kind of got behind the eight ball of Chris Dunn and. Buddy healed, right. and uh, I mean that—that that just is why. You know, right. I, I think that I think Murray's going to have a bigger impact than Skull this year. I really do. The interesting thing yeah. is that, um, 
and I, I don't doubt uh, both those guys are great and they're both going to be lottery picks. Um, John Calipari, and you can never really tell if he's being genuine when he says these types of things. Um, like he held a press conference this morning. And to that point, I, I mean, that's like somebody asked him about what NBA scouts thought of uh, Sunday's combine and who were they impressed by. And he immediately starts talking about Charles Matthews, which is just like silly, okay. right? I mean, yeah, so you never know what is a what his agenda yeah. is. Um, also, although to be fair, though, we, didn't, didn't that kind of happen with Booker last year in the preseason and, and ended up coming? I, I might be totally misremembering that, but I feel like... Oh, no, yeah, he did. He did. He did. He was playing up Booker yeah. really early. And, um, he was. And, and, he, and then, he, you know, Booker developed into what he was. Um, but one of the things he said this morning is... Um, he said Tyler Eulis is our best player, and it's not even close. Now I don't know if that's true, but it was something interesting that came out of his mouth. Um, that it, not just Tyler Eulis could be our best player, um, or should be our best player. He said he's our best player, and it's not even close. So uh, perhaps we should have Eulis even higher than than we do. We got a lot. I, I got a lot of comments that Eulis was too low overall on the list which i i, I kind of get listen I, I think he's good he's 33rd i mean there, there could very well could be something to that i, I, I don't dispute yeah. that um and i also think the inherent challenge with this list sometimes is when you have certain programs that have three or four really really good guys and that's almost always kentucky you almost unintentionally or intentionally don't want to have like you know for the top 12 be from the same program not that it, it, like we should be ranking them based on who we think is you know Who's the best in the, in that exact order? So I can understand that uh, that Ulysses being too low. Um, maybe we'll look a little silly at the end of the year, but but maybe not. I mean, he's a very good player. I also think Cal's comments are coming from a certain place of Ulysses playing the position that he does and him knowing what Cal is asking of the, of the guys at this point because he's been through it for a year. While as you know, Murray and Briscoe and Skull to name the, you know three of their most high profile guys, not nece- they're not necessarily in the same spot. So it's, it's easy for Cal to say something like that and for everyone to kind of, you know, listen to what he's saying in terms of the An- team. another thing he yeah, said I mean, this morning, Sam, let me ask you about this. Um, he said that he does not plan to play Euless and Briscoe together. Um, does that surprise you? Uh, considering I expect Tyler Euless to play like 30 minutes a game. If he's the best player on their team, 32, 33 minutes a game. Yeah. It's, it surprises me because Isaiah Briscoe was probably the best point guard recruit in the country, or at least the most highly rated recruit uh, in the country at the position. So it, it would certainly be weird for him to only play, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 again, I, I like, that, yeah, he's, he's, he's said, and, and perhaps, he perhaps he's just trying to motivate Briscoe because he said yeah. the problem is Isaiah defers too much to Tyler when they're on the court together. And so maybe that's just something you'll figure out. My guess is by the end of it, um, they'll be they'll be operating a lot like John Wall, Eric Bledsoe, once yeah. upon a time. Like you, he, Cal's pretty good at getting his best players on the floor together. I suspect he'll figure it out. Yeah, and he said, I, I want to say at that combine on when was it? It was Sunday, right? Uh, he said that he'd have no problem playing the three the three of them, including <laughs> Murray, together. Right. So, so um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of confused by that. Going back to Tyler Eulis, though, being too high, too low. Um, I don't think I was the lowest on him of the three of us, but it's worth mentioning that he, he was like good last year. He, his numbers though, if you look at them, you know, he put up under 10 points per 40 minutes, like his efficiency numbers aren't great. Uh, I, I get that Cal loves the defense. I get that he loves everything that Eulis brings, but let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. 
on Tyler Ulis. Like he's really good. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's a, let's not go crazy here. I would say he was he was a very good player that was a backup point guard last year and a good backup point guard. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I guess while we're on the subject of Kentucky, we could discuss just for uh, a moment the latest with uh, Scal Labissier. Um, I reported yesterday that uh, Jack Britton, who is um, what amounts to an investigator with the NCAA, um, he, he interviewed a former Memphis AAU coach named Keith Easterwood, uh, essentially about what Easterwood had told me uh, roughly a year ago in terms of his dealings with Gerald Hamilton, that Gerald Hamilton uh, essentially called him and and said, hey, I, you know, I need your help. Um, how do I go about making money off of a basketball player? You know, and, and the conversations went from there. Um, I don't think this is a surprise because um, once I wrote that story and detailed all of the red flags surrounding uh, Labissiere's guardian, um, th- there was always going to be a process uh, to, his, to him becoming eligible. And the NCAA was always going to, to ask a lot of questions. So here we are. And they were always going to talk to Easterwood because his name is the one that's in the story. What I found um, somewhat interesting is that they talked to him this past Monday afternoon, which means they're still very much investigating. And, you know, who knows, you know, on what timetable the, the NCAA works and, and how quickly they can wrap things up if they want to. But the idea that, that they're still asking questions only 19 days before Kentucky's first exhibition can't be a great sign for Kentucky fans, can it? No, not at all. Um, everything that I'm hearing indicates that this is simply not going to be an issue and that he's going to be eligible, but we are getting closer and closer here. I, given the way the NCAA has a tendency to carry on with these things and how we have seen players get to the season before and not necessarily know of their eligibility right away, I'm not convinced that we'll have an answer on this by November 13th. I want to believe that we will, and I want to believe that it's going to come in the final end. But there's like there's like six or seven guys still. It's not just Diallo and, and Scal, even though those are the two most high-profile guys. With this one in particular... I guess the the key thing is not that it's key, but well, how do you know how do you know there are six or seven guys? Goodman tweeted out that there were a number of guys the other day that were still. Yeah, awaiting. I, I want to say that both Lovett and uh, Yakwe at St. John's still aren't cleared either. Right. I mean, the, yeah, Diallo and, and Scout aren't the only ones, but the, the whole lot of names aren't out there. You really don't know for sure until. Uh, the game start, and you see who's playing, and right, and, the, and who's absolutely not. correct. Um, what I would say, what I would say is, um, some of it's going to listen. I, I was on a radio station in Kentucky this morning. They asked me about this. Here's here's um, what I would say about the Libizier thing. His guardian was undeniably, and if he says otherwise, he's not telling the truth. Trying to figure out ways to fund his organization, his foundation, um, by leveraging Scout. He, he just was. I had one person tell me that he had been shopping him in some form uh, since his freshman year of high school, shopping him to AAU teams, shopping him to high schools, shopping him, uh, you know, like just in very much, um, you know, the way it's been reported. Um, I, I can't tell you for sure what he got, how much he got, if he got anything. But, you know, the idea that he was, tr- you know, 
he did, his motives were pure all along. That's just, I reject that. Um, I, I know too many people who've dealt with Gerald Hamilton and then talked to me about their dealings with Gerald Hamilton. He uh, made it every, not every, but a, lots of conversations he had with college coaches always uh, circled back around to his foundation. And he was always, you know, he was forever curious. So coach, um, could you tell me, you know, I've got this foundation. Like what would be your advice on how I could go about getting this foundation funded. I'm trying to do great things for kids and so on and so forth. Uh, by the way, somebody trying to do great things for kids, he's only had one kid ever live with him for an extended period of time. Hmm. Happened to be a you know future lottery pick. So like, you know, I, I'll be a little more impressed when you're helping, you know, a, a five foot seven uh, girl from uh, Haiti. Someone who's a better person than they truly someone are. Someone who is actually a better person than they are a, <laughs> a, a player. Um, Beyond that, the Commercial Appeal newspaper in Memphis did a story, a series, basically tearing through all of Josh Pastner's emails, and they 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 requested them all, Freedom of Information uh, uh, request. They got them all, and they used them to try to tell different stories about things connected to Josh or the Memphis basketball program. And one of the things they found in these emails was a, a, an email that Josh sent to his staff. And the email was essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but it was essentially, um, hey, I want to make sure you guys understand um, that we cannot help Gerald Hamilton fund his foundation. We can't set him up with people who can help. We can't be involved in that in any way. So um, I just wanted to remind you, like, you know, um, just we, we can't be involved in that. So, like, my question has always been, what, what made Josh Pastner think he needed to send that email to his assistants? Like, like, he, he, like he, he didn't send that email about anybody, literally anybody else in the world, but he sent that email to his staff about Gerald Hamilton. Why, why did he feel like he needed to send that email? Well, the answer is simple, because he was under the impression that Gerald Hamilton had his hand out. Or, and by hand, I mean, was you know, trying to get it, that foundation funded um, in some way, and he just wanted to remind his staff this is not it it's it's obviously illegal if we do it but it is also illegal in or in violation of NCAA rules if we get if we encourage other people to do it so just stay away from that completely uh, so to me that's not a smoking gun but it underlines the impression college coaches were getting from Gerald Hamilton um and then it's going to be so it's going to be interesting what the NCAA actually finds and then it's also going to be interesting and I don't know the answer to this how, what exactly will they consider an extra benefit? Like, is this an extra benefit? If you start a basketball team from nothing, built around one player and a bunch of idiots, you call them reach your dream, and then you go play in tournaments in the state of Kentucky for appearance fees. Like, is it an extra benefit if a basketball tournament organizer, who might also happen to be a Kentucky booster, pays you $5,000 to bring your team to an event for a weekend. Is the, the, Why are they paying that $5,000 for your team? They're paying it to mm -hmm. get, to get you know, Kentucky's top-ranked recruit there. Is, 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 so they're essentially, you, what you would have there is, is someone who could you know, be de defined on some level as a Kentucky booster throwing $5,000. And these are all just numbers I'm making up. But, you know, th this is the... T like, it's not hard to figure. Like, go look at where Reach Your Dream Prep played. They played tournaments in in Kentucky. Um, 
is the NCAA going to interpret that as an extra benefit? I, I don't know the answer to that, but these are all the things that um, that I think on some level should have Kentucky fans worried. That said, uh, the list of players who have ever been ruled permanently ineligible is like uh, very, very small. And this isn't an Ennis Cantor situation. The difference with Cantor was that he was a professional basketball player in the NCAA's eyes. You, you know, he was not an amateur. Um, so like he couldn't play college basketball. This, this would be simply an extra benefits case. And, um, so even if it does go the wrong way for Kentucky or, or specifically for, for Scow, I, I do think he'll play this year. I don't know that he'll be there opening night. I don't know that he won't. I just don't know that he will, but, but I do believe he will play at some point this season. Um, more meaningful to the overall success of their team based on their eligibility this year, guys. Scal at Kentucky or Diallo at Kansas? Uh, I think I think Scal at Kentucky probably. And yeah, the, re- I agree with that. the reason would be at Kansas, like Diallo, like might push them to another level. But I mean, that's a veteran team, a bunch of guys who've been in college basketball forever. Oh, by the way, Kansas fans hate us over Wayne Seldon not being on the list. I don't feel bad about that one either. Like there, there are some guys where I feel like pretty bad. We should have had them on the list. Like maybe, um, you know, some of the guys we mentioned earlier, like Arch Diacono, you know, maybe we should have had him on the list. I don't feel that bad about Wayne Seldon. Wayne yeah. Seldon hasn't been a good college basketball player for his two years yet. But to circle back around to the point, um, I think, I think we we might believe Diallo makes Kansas a top five team, but even without him, they're they're top ten based on just the veterans they have coming back. Um, with with Kentucky, a lot of you know the the reason some people think they should be preseason number one, it's based on talent. It's based on the talent in the program, and mm-hmm. if you don't have your most talented kid, that affects that, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. With that. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I agree with that. I think that Scal is definitely much more important. And just from a fit perspective, uh, Kentucky's a team that could struggle to space the floor a little bit. You know, they do have Tyler Eulis, who's a really good shooter, but you figure he's going to handle the ball a lot. Uh, Murray's a really good shooter, but he's also a guy that likes to get into the lane, likes to slash, and likes to get to the bucket. Um, you know, Scalabissi is the kind of guy who can space the floor for those attacking guards like Murray, Eulis, and. Uh, Isaiah Briscoe, he can take his man out of the lane and make that uh, easier for them to get all the way to the rim. And without him, uh, you're looking at Marcus Lee, uh, who's never been much of a shooter. Uh, You're looking at uh, Isaac Humphreys, who's still pretty young at 17 years old, and we don't know what to expect from him on the college level yet. Um, So yeah, I would say that not not only from a talent perspective, but from a fit perspective, uh, Scal is tremendously important to Kentucky and what they're planning to do. So I, I would definitely choose him over uh, Diallo. Let's wrap this up by talking about the top 25 and once. We, we've talked about um, where we had teams outside of uh, the top 26, but really haven't talked about the top of it at all. North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, and Maryland. I want to ask you if you agree or disagree because we talked about all of this in advance of even publishing it. But... Um, do, have you guys paid attention to who is number one at other places? I really haven't. Um, somebody asked me the other day, do I think North Carolina will be number one in most places? And I, I really don't know. Um, I, I think somebody has had Maryland number one. I saw somebody else has had Kentucky number one. There does seem to be, and I think this is unique to most seasons, four reasonable options. Like I don't think you 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 can get called 
you can reasonably be called an idiot. People just call you an idiot all the time for whatever. But like, I don't think you can reasonably be called an idiot as long as you have Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, or Maryland number one. Does that seem about right? Yes. yes I I mean, I'll, I'll, I've been kind of gabbing on this. So I'll give it, I'll see I'll the Sam here. But my succinct thought is our top four are the only four realistic logistical teams in the preseason to have as a number one team. One of those four. They all make sense. We really debated all over all four of them before settling on Carolina. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I think that I made the pitch for Kansas as number one, uh, just because I think they're the team I feel is least likely to make us look stupid at the end of the year, uh, just because we know that they're going to win the Big 12. I mean, it's just a thing that's going to happen, even though the Big 12 is as deep as it's ever been with Oklahoma, with Iowa State being incredibly talented. Uh, Kansas is going to win the Big 12. It happens every year. Uh, and they have a lot of experience this year. And, you know, these kids definitely uh, do have that level of success. And with Diallo and with Carlton Bragg coming in, uh, it's hard for me to see another team uh, defeating them. And then you have Maryland, who I think is a little bit more risky, but probably has a higher ceiling than any other team in America, just because, like we were talking about earlier in the top 101, uh, they have five kids that legitimately could be uh, the number one or it could be in the top 101. Uh, and then you look at guys like Jared Nickens, who uh, is a very useful player. Uh, Demontre Dodd is another very useful player. They have a great rotation of guys that uh, could very well uh, end up being the number one. And then you look at North Carolina, and they kind of mesh everything together, right? They have the youth. They have the upside with guys like Justin Jackson, who is probably the guy that I got the most pushback on uh, being so low on our list. We had him in the 60s, I believe. Um, and you look at guys like him, guys like Theo Pence and guys like Joel Berry, who are all pretty young and have upside, but they also have the experience in Marcus Page, Bryce, uh, Bryce Johnson and, uh, Kennedy Meeks. So I, I think that there is a lot of, there are a lot of options here. Uh, Kentucky is probably the most talented team from, uh, you, you know, just from an NBA draft perspective, from a pure, these guys are skilled perspective. Uh, so any of these teams could be the number one. We ended up going with North Carolina because it's the best mix. Yeah, I think you know North Carolina was probably the the safer the safest pick. Uh, Kentucky, you've got a, a, a they're young. Even if they're super talented, they're young, and you just never know which way that could go. It usually goes well, um, mm-hmm. but like it it there was one year the Netherlands Noel year where it went poorly. Um, Kansas, you know, we don't know what's going on with Diallo. Uh, for certain. And then while on paper, I think I like Maryland starting five as much as I like anybody starting five in college basketball. Um, it is true that the, you know, analytics didn't love them last year. I think they've even finished outside of the top 25 at Kimpom. So they were like closer to 40. Right. So like, like 25. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, listen, they were 28 win team. They return mellow, tremble. They add two McDonald's All-Americans and a transfer from Georgia Tech, who's a double-digit scorer. Um, they, like, the roster is really good. But, um, you know, Ken Palm's ratings love North Carolina relative uh, to, to how, much, how it felt about Maryland. And I just think when you add everything together, uh, you, you could reasonably go in any of those directions, but North Carolina made the most sense to me. Yeah, uh, Maryland last year went something like 12-1. and one in uh, two-possession games, so games that were decided by six or less points. Right. Uh, that, that's pretty abnormal, uh, I, I will say. And yeah, part of that is because Melo Trimble is an incredible guy to give the ball to at the end of games. 
whenever you have a lead and you know he's going to shut it down at the free throw line. But 12-1 and one is excessively good. It, it, it would be a surprise if they were able to pull that off. Again. Right, and it becomes how you, do, how you, how you want to interpret that. Do you, do you chalk it up? Uh, to, uh, you know, I, I think Maryland fans would say, yeah, of course we were 12-1 and one in games that were close because we've got a <laughs> yeah. great primary ball handler and Mark Turgeon's a genius, right? That would be that argument. Uh, on the other hand, some of it is just, you know, sometimes balls go in, sometimes they don't. I don't care how good yeah. you are. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, know, balls bounce a certain way. It doesn't matter how good you are. And you just, last year, basically in those situations, everything went Maryland's way every single time. And you, you can't reasonably expect it to go that way again. You can still be great at the end, in the end of game situations, but like 12 and one in close games is a, like you said, it's a, it's exactly, it's abnormally good. Like if you go eight and four in close game situations like that, again, that's a really good year. That that's an awesome year. But it, it's still uh, the difference between twenty two wins and twenty five wins, right. and that's a major major difference. So uh, yeah, I, I think that that argument is very fair. Whenever we did a, a three pointer on uh, who the team we think is that could uh, underachieve among the top five to 10 teams in the country. Maryland was my pick just for that reason. Uh, but you know, you look at the roster and they probably do also have the most upside of anyone. So. All right. All right. Well, hold on before we, no, we, go, we up, I, I'm ready to go before we were Hold on real quick. What? You don't have to settle this on the podcast, but I want to, I want to set it up on the podcast. Okay. So you are a fan of the New York Mets and I'm a fan of Chicago Cubs. And so we got a we got a game five situation coming up here for the Metropolitans against the Dodgers on Thursday. Going on, Grinky and Degrom should be great stuff. If if your Mets win, you think the Dodgers will cheat this time again, or they'll try to play it straight? You know, it's gotten to the point. It's so funny. I never thought of GPS. I kind of always knew you were a Mets fan, but I never really like associated the team with you for whatever reason until this year. Because you got like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because this is as good as they've ever been since I've known you. But I was like, holy crap! Like. No, I They're grew just up about the Mets in the middle of May right now. Well, I grew up in uh, you know, you know, I'm 38 years old. So when I was a kid, you know, they didn't have uh, MLB extra innings and all that stuff. You basically were reduced in my market, at least. Um, of you, you could watch three teams on television: the Cubs because of WGN, the Braves on TBS, and the Mets on WWR. And so. Um, you know the the Braves were just awful. Like I could, it didn't make any sense to like even pay attention to them. A lot of pe- most people became Cubs fans. Like that's why Cub the Cubs have fans nationwide because of WGN. And um, I you know I just sort of latched onto the Mets. You know they they had these young interesting players, and I was a young baseball player, and I like like genuinely became a Mets fan when I was like five six years old. And then um, like all throughout my childhood, all throughout high school, all throughout college. Like, I'm the guy who, you know, the Mets Braves are playing in the playoffs. Let's go, let, you know, I'd go to Atlanta. Like, I, you know, um, I'd go to Shea Stadium. Like, I, um, and, and at some point in my adult life, I think after our first son was born, they were just, you know, they were so, they've been so bad for so long. I just sort of d- detached from it. Like, um, you know, still had the shirts and the hats and stuff, but I just wasn't going to watch it on a day to day basis. And uh, this year, you know, they got off to a good start and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I bought the major league baseball like season pass. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to like care again. I'm going to force myself to care again. And, uh, and man, I got, I'm both feet in, like I got irrationally, um, emotionally attached to everything. <laughs> like Saturday night when the Dodgers cheated and, and broke Ruben Tejada's leg, 
I, I don't remember being that angry about something that didn't actually affect my life. Um, I can't remember the last time I was that angry about anything that like doesn't happen in my home. Like I get angry if my son doesn't do his homework the way he's supposed to, but like being angered by a sporting event um, and not because I was like betting on it or something, like just being angry about, I was, I woke up Sunday, like still mad as hell about the whole thing. Like Chase, like I hate Chase Utley right now. Yeah. And, and the, the idea that I, like, I'm not the guy who goes around hating just people in general, but especially not people I don't even know. I despise Chase, Chase Utley. I could, couldn't stop thinking about him. So like, I, so like, uh, I can't wait this Wednesday afternoon right now. I cannot wait for tomorrow night, that game five. Um, I, I hate the idea that you got to beat Grinky in LA to advance, but whatever. If DeGrom's awesome again. Uh, yeah, they, I'm pretty well, excited I, to go to that I, game. It's yeah. Sam's great. going to the game. Yeah, Sam, that's the, that Sam loops in here. He's actually going to the game. Yeah. Pretty awesome. How'd well, you how'd you swing that by the way? Um, last night I went on StubHub and oh, okay. paid dollars for a ticket. How much was it? How much was it? <laughs> there you go. It okay, so I love I love if the Mets win. If the Mets win and they play the Cubs, um, on Twitter because what's going to happen is this series will start well before we have another podcast. So we're going to have to come to some sort of fun little wager here because uh, God knows the next time the Cubs are ever going to be in the playoffs. I know, understand they have really good young players, but. That, oh that, no! Let me. No, the guarantee. Cubs are going to be in the playoffs every year going forward. Shut up! I mean, honestly, I don't know if I agree. No. Okay, I agree. well, like, think about this. I mean, look at—they got all these young hitters who are better. Like everybody thought, Schwarber could be great in theory. I cannot believe how good he is. They didn't the think he'd be I great. Schwarber that ball yesterday, like to the moon. He hit I one mean, in Pittsburgh the same way. He's it's, like, it's, yeah. it's okay. insane. And then, which, by uh, the way, I'm a Pirates fan, and like, I told myself <laughs> I was not going to watch baseball the rest of the year after the Cubs beat the Pirates and Jake Arrieta just dominated the Pirates. But, yeah, I'm just going to this game. And it's so, just and, way too fun. And so everybody thought Chris Bryant could be great in theory. Nobody thought he'd be this great this quickly. So you've got all these young bats under contract, right? And then you've got Arietta under contract. You've got uh, uh, John Lester. Uh, what's his, the, the guy from the Red Sox? Lester. Yeah, John Lester under contract. And then... They're going to go out because they're, they're a big market team. They've got the money to go out and sign another frontline pitcher. So, like, they add David Price in theory. So now you've got three A-level pitchers to go with all those young bats. Like, why are they not going to be, re- like, great for a it's while? Almost, it's weird. Like, they should be, but it's just the Cubs, man. Like, they were supposed to have a nice six, seven-year window when they had Kerry Wood, you know? And and it just did not happen. O three 3 happened, and after that, everything just kind of – it just it just fell apart. Things don't work out the way they're supposed to with this franchise. I hope it happens. I mean, remember Mark Pryor was going to be the best pitcher in the, in right. the big leagues for a decade, and and his arm fell apart. Listen, if the yeah, but that, that's the thing, arms. So like that's why yeah. I would be more concerned as a Mets fan because, because they're more relying on pitching. Yeah, right? yeah, because they're relying on Degrom right. being awesome, Harvey being awesome, uh, yeah. uh, Syndergaard being awesome, Mats being awesome. And if those four guys stay healthy, like the Mets might average like a hundred wins a year. For the next, you know, four, five, you know, three, four years. I mean, the, when you the, those are four really strong pitchers, and you know, uh, Mats is a rookie, Syndergaard's a rookie, Degrom's in his first full year, and you know, Harvey's still young, but like those arms could just—you never know with pitchers. Like the arms could just fall off. Those bats don't go away though. The bats that Chicago has, like hitters, hit. I know they—they they should. I know, but except like, for Yasiel Puig, that's the only one that doesn't make sense. Isn't that crazy though. That's so weird. Um, he yeah, was that's, a that's... star who can't even get off the bench now. I know it's bizarre. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I'm loving the CBS Sports Eye on Baseball <laughs> podcast right now. But like, I, was, I was so bored through the whole college basketball part of the podcast, and now I'm like energized. I'm talking baseball. Um, I am going to go if the Mets do win uh, Thursday night. I am going to go to Wrigley next week. Yeah, and I'm gonna. I might be able to go to City Field, which is. I would love to actually go to a game with you, GP, but uh, different parts of the country can't swing it. But let's hopefully, uh, hopefully the Mets win, and if they do, we'll we'll set up some sort of little fun wager on Twitter. But I wanted to get that in before we finish the podcast. Deal, so. deal, deal. All right. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. It sometimes turns into an Ion Baseball Podcast at iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. Make sure you do that, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. Till then. Take care.